Previously on About Them Cowboys. Um, you know, as far as I think disrupting the quarterback, he's he's you know escaped several times to do that. Uh, obviously, the frustration for him as well is just you know look when he misses them, nobody. Whoops, excuse me. Now I got something in my eye. Um, just had some Tabasco on my finger and it went in my eye. That wasn't good. Oh, never good. It's terrible. Jeez, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hang on, guys. We'll be right back. Give me one second. All right, we're back. Only thing else I got to say is, how about them cowboys? How about them cowboys, indeed? All right, it's July. It's less than a month away from the kickoff of Cowboys Camp 2022. They're headed back to Oxnard. We still got a lot of stuff to talk about, though, here on the About Them Cowboys podcast. So, welcome back in. I'm Kent, producing. But stick around to the end of this episode to hear a little trailer for the Athletics Narrative Series that we've got dropping next week. It's called Luck, where our Colts writer, Zach Kiefer, brings you Andrew Luck's story like you've never heard it before. He spoke with over two dozen people for this. Jim Mersey, Bill Polian, Frank Reich, Chuck Pagano, David Shaw, RG3, so many more. Peeling back the curtain like really has never been done on such a unique character uh, in the NFL. So get all six episodes of Luck next week on The Athletic Football Show, dropping Monday, July 11th, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Make sure you check that out and listen to the trailer of that at the end of this episode. This is a special episode because we're welcoming back a special guest. It's my partner in crime from the DallasCowboys.com days, but now he's with Fox Sports, which gives him more opportunity to join us. It's David Tiny Jim Hellman. Welcome back, Dave. Gentlemen, uh, it is ha- it is wonderful to be on with you, and um, yeah, I think this is ironically this is my first appearance since I officially made the switch to Fox Sports. So, uh, hell yeah, let's get into it. He's an all new man. We're gonna get into it for sure. But I'm joined as always by two of the best of the best when it comes to breaking down all things Dallas Cowboys from the Athletic. It's Father John Mashota and from the Eagle slash Sports and Such Kevin KT Turner. Welcome back, KT. Happy summer. Thank you, and RIP sports and such. Um, so, um, uh, <laughs> Dave, I'm really glad that we got Dave because now we can get hear his shocking opinions like never before. N- now that he's not the mouthpiece for Jerry Jones, I've seen someone <laughs> say that to you on Twitter before. Yeah, it's it's Dave Dave Unleashed, which I feel like um, will probably be a maybe slightly less boring version of who I already was, but we'll see if we can get into any trouble. Dave, what was it like, like this past few months? What a freaking crazy off season. Like, what was it like being in the star for all this stuff going down? Yeah, I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm kind of going to write about that when I fish, when I, when I put out my debut piece on Fox sports, which should probably be sometime this week. Um, uh, I mean, my God, what an off season, man. Like, the and not in a, not in a good way. <laughs> yeah. And I haven't really, I guess I hadn't thought about it from that perspective, but yeah, like, can't you used to work there going to work in that building um, in, in times of strife, we'll say in times of um, yeah. When, when stuff kind of hits the fan, there's like this awkward tension in the air where everybody's kind of looking at each other, like side eye, like, Oh, that's happening. Oh, that's fun. Um, and it felt like that was happening (laughs) rapidly uh, every day, consistently at the start of this off season. So that was definitely, uh, 
that was a surreal experience, an awkward experience. Yeah. Well, like you said, we can get your unfiltered thoughts on that type of stuff now. So there we go. John, have you already started packing your bag for Oxnard? I mean, I know you got <laughs> 20 days, but when does the packing really start? I've been doing some online shopping, you know, getting some new gear. Uh, you can do surf suit? Yeah, I think I'm going to go out there probably a week early because um, this weather here is miserable. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go, man. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and, and act like I'm super excited to cover this team this year because I'm just, I don't know, this is probably the least excited I've been to go to training camp from a Cowboys coverage standpoint. There's just not a lot that, I don't know, they'd have to make like a couple moves for me to really like change the way I feel right now. Like I think they're going to be a good team, but I just don't think that they're going to be taking the next step and winning multiple playoff games and things like that. And so uh, I think because of that, I'm, Probably the football side of it, I'm not as excited to go out there, but the weather, obviously, I'm really excited to go out there. Are you in the same boat there, Dave? That's such a that's such a uh, behind sports writing answer right there. And yeah, I, I I I think I probably I have a little more a little bit more cause for excitement than John because I'm starting a new position at a new outlet. Uh, so that's going to be it's just going to be completely new. I mean, I doubt people really care about the intricacies of that, but like it's going to be wild for me to, you know, to work with John on the external side of things instead of me being inside the team or like, you know, even working with our PR staff as an external uh, employee instead of an internal, like I'm in the process of getting credentialed through the PR staff right now, which is a first time I've ever had to do that. So there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of reason for me to be excited personally and yeah, the, uh, you know, the 70 degree weather definitely helps, but like, I do agree with John in the sense that as far as this Cowboys team, it's about as just bleh as I've felt about a team where I'm just like, okay, like they're not going to be bad. They're going to be in the playoff race. They're also probably not going to do significantly better than they did last year. And like, I can hear the fans saying it right now where it's like, what's, what's the drought out now? Like the, the drought is at what? 26 years now. Yep. So I'm, um, you know, it's it's very easy to imagine being like, oh, well, it's 27 years in this time next year. Uh, of course, of course, we can always be wrong, but like that's just how I feel. I just, um, I don't see a lot of reason to get super jacked up that this is a different or better team than the last few that we've seen. And there's definitely been one of those things where when there are lower expectations, you're not expecting as much. The team does tend to do better than in the years when we're going to training camp thinking that this team is going to be, oh, this is going to be a Super Bowl contender and things like that. Um, but if you're just being realistic and, and, and you think that there is some or if you want to just be contrarian to what we're saying here, then just tell me what moves that they've made and what they've done to make you think that, oh, no, no, this year is going to be different. I just I mean, I can break this down with whatever we can talk personnel behind the scenes, coaching staff front up. Like what? Like, I don't know, man, like you got to really be drinking the Kool-Aid if all of a sudden you're just thinking like, Oh no, 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 no. This is the year. Like what, well, what makes you say that? Like, I would love to know what that is because I, I've studied this roster all over the place, just looking for articles to write during this time of, of the year. And it's difficult to find something to really get people like real fired up about. You know what though? And again, I completely agree, but like, that's the funny thing is, I mean, you know, the, the Dallas Cowboys are like never going to admit that they are a more boring team than they were last year, you know? And so it would be one thing if the Cowboys front office was like, yeah, you know, we're, 
we might be taking a step back, but we think that's in the long-term interest of the team. We're not like, we're still going to compete and we'll be a much better team in a year or two. But like they're never, Jerry Jones is never going to say that. Jerry Jones is saying, you know, they're saying stuff like, oh, this, we really feel like this is our first full off season and that's going to make a hell of a difference. And, you know, we, we expect a similar type of impact from this year's draft class that we got last year with Micah. And so like, they're not dialing back the expectations, obviously, Jerry's kind of downplayed it recently, but like all that stuff that happened with Mike McCarthy's job security, I mean, that's still on the record and that's not going away. So that's the funny thing is like, in my head, I'm like, okay, you're not dialing down the expectations, even though the evidence suggests that maybe you should. So what is that going to mean if you don't meet them? Like, well, so 2014, 2014, I think it was the time when Jerry said at that pre training camp press conference that they were looking at an uphill battle. It was either, I think it was 14. Yeah, it was 14. Yeah. So that, that was one time when he did actually kind of were it. I remember, cause that was like the biggest headline to come out of that, you know, hour long press conference where he's up there with Steven and Jason Garrett. Um, and then 2014 obviously was a great year and uh, you know, shocked all of us. So uh, yeah, maybe that's a good thing that that's going on. But I just, for me personally, th- multiple moves need to be made for for me to sit there and say, oh, no, 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 this team, this team's got a chance to be better. Like, yeah, of course, I, I think Micah Parsons can be a little bit better. I think Trayvon Diggs, I think the defense as a whole can be better. But I also look at the offense and go, that thing is like littered with question marks everywhere from even the most optimistic person. Yeah. yeah and, and this is where like what has to happen has to be this thing that has either A, already been talked about and beaten into the ground, or B, it just happens as we go. Because let's let's be honest here. I think we all really like the guy a lot and think he's really, really good. What if the quarterback takes that play up one one level and you don't have a slump and it just doesn't happen and if the quarterback turns well, okay. it morphs into something? And that's something that we have seen uh, with quarterbacks. Uh, okay. After, yeah, yeah, for a sure. point, they – like that's the thing that could do it. And I think the other thing is if CD well, Lamb, let's talk about that was, one real quick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that sounds to totally, that sounds totally believable too. And, and totally possible. If you tell me that Michael Gallup's completely healthy and they did not get rid of Amari Cooper, then you're like, Oh yeah, I can see that too. But you're working in Jalen Tolbert. You're yeah. going to work in James Washington. We haven't really seen anything from them and you need them to be ready to go week one in your offense, like ready to roll and play at a, at a very high level. So it's possible, but for your quarterback to take that next step, you also need the guys catching the ball to be on that level too. And I think there could be some rust and some growing pains early on with those receivers. That's no, I hear that. I, I mean, I, I'm with you, KT. Like I'm, I think everybody that follows my work knows that I'm firmly pro Dak Prescott. Like I, th- I think he's great. I think people forget just how well he was playing before the calf injury last year. Having said that, to John's point, like, it almost seems like the Cowboys are basically saying, like, well, you better carry us, and we're not really going to help you a whole lot. Like, I'm sorry. I know, like, we all, I think we all feel pretty good about Tyler Smith after the offseason. We still haven't seen him play. Uh, so we don't know for sure that the offensive line is any better than it was last year. Like, you can't just assume that that's true. Um, and then you get rid of Amari Cooper, and oh, by the way, Michael Gallup's going to miss a couple games. And it's like, yeah, Dak might be awesome, but you sure as hell didn't give him the best chance at success. Like the supporting cast is nowhere near as inspiring as it was last year, the year before that, maybe even 2019. And and 
I'll just throw that in there in case you're going to bring it up too. Like maybe CD lamb is really about to up his game as well. And really, you know, maybe they're about to put the league on notice and that'll be a hell of a lot of fun if they do. But I don't think you can sit here in early July and just assume that that's going to be the case. There's also like, and it, it, for sometimes it, it can be a a good thing if there's not any uh, not a ton of like position battles because that means like your guys are kind of set. But like it also does add an element of uh, sex appeal to training camp. But I don't know, outside. Okay, so Tyler Smith. Okay, first round pick. There we go. Um, outside of the kicker battle, now that we've brought Liam back into the mix, and I'm not even going to say his last name. Get give it to me. Arolahu. Hirolahu. Hirolahu. And Garibay, Garibay's my guy. Mark it down. Does Sam Williams and uh, Sam Williams and Dorrance Armstrong really get the get the uh, you know the fan base really fired up? I mean, because the position battles are, even though it's your first two draft picks of the year, it's not like there's a lot of sexy position battles happening either. Right, but I, okay, like just to be a realist about that, I can mm-hmm. at least buy the idea that if you tell me Demarcus Lawrence is going to stay healthy. You got left end taken care of. I can see the defensive tackles taking another step. So then uh, at right defensive end, you're giving me four guys in Sam Williams, Dante Fowler, and Dorrance Armstrong for just one of those guys to step up as a starter and being a guy that gets maybe six, eight sacks. That's at least, I believe that. I can see that. But you telling to me that all of a sudden this offensive line, which I think might be the worst Cowboys offensive line going into training camp in the last, I don't know, since maybe 14, before yeah. probably 14, um, and then again, the, the uncertainty you have at wide receiver, because again, like I feel very similar about Tyler Smith as I do about Jalen Tolbert. No part of me thinks that like, oh, I just don't think these are going to be good players. I think that they are, but I'm saying that you're asking them right away to step in immediately and be factors like right, right at week one, we got to go and you have to play well because we really don't have another option behind you. That to me, there's a lot more risk there as opposed to the, well, no, I mean, if Dorrance doesn't really work out, you know, hey, maybe Fowler gives us something. We can work Sam Williams in there. You know, Micah's going to be rushing off the edge a little bit. You got some answers there. Like, to me, I'm actually kind of surprised that they have, we haven't heard them add another receiver, whether it is a T.Y. Hilton, whether it is a Julio Jones, you know, all the names you see on Twitter. Like, it does kind of surprise me that that up to this point, it is kind of like, no, we're going to roll with what we have right here. What What would you guys give up for D.K. Metcalf? Nothing. I don't care. I'm not I'm not trying to pay significantly for a wide receiver. Like I'm fine with like I said, the Julio Jones, T.Y. Hilton thing, whatever, but like receivers, you can get them in the draft. You can you can invest second, third round picks and get good receivers. And honestly, I feel a lot better about the Cowboys receiving core. After I sit there and I say about them not having Amari and then Gallup's going to take a while to get back. If you just told me Cedric Wilson was back, I'd be like, hey, he's been in the offense. He's taken some steps and things like that. That He's a late round pick. If you just had those guys coming along that you feel confident, hey, this guy's been in the offense, whatever. It's not about necessarily, oh, let's go out there and get another superstar. Let's go get DK Metcalf. I don't think you need to do that. Plus what you have to pay to get him. I don't think it's worth it for the position. I'm just saying that when you look at their depth chart, it looks thin at, at receiver when you're talking about experience in the Cowboys offense. I, yeah, I, I agree. I wouldn't I wouldn't pay for him on t- I mean the trade and then having to give him the contract. And yeah, like the receiver core is not an issue in the big picture. Like I I really do like I think CD Lamb's great. It would be pretty surprising to see him not get a new deal here. Like I, I mean we we all think CD Lamb will probably sign an extension here, right? So he's yeah. here. Gallup just signed. You just drafted Tolbert, who everybody feels pretty good about. Like 
I don't, this isn't a position that needs an overhaul. This is just a position that needs some juice. Like right now they need a guy. Cause again, I think we all expect MG to miss a game or two, maybe more. I know they've kind of been reluctant to say, but like, they have not been reluctant to admit like, yeah, he might not be ready for the season. Like you have to at least uh, consider that. And then, you know, not every rookie is ready to hit the ground running, even if he's a great player. So yeah, I agree with John. I do. I do think it's weird. It doesn't have to be Julio Jones, but there are, there are guys out there. I mean, the injury history probably doesn't get you excited about Will Fuller, but like, that's definitely, if he's healthy, that's a guy that could, could step in and give you something. Um, yeah, I, I think it's weird, but I, I don't think the need – the need is not in the big picture. The need is, like, for September of 2022. Yeah, and, and that might come when teams make roster cuts and, you know, a veteran – I'm throwing names out of Angel Sanders or someone gets cut, you know, something like that. And that might, might go that route. The other thing is I also think when you think about the offense and, and we're talking about needing a little more firepower, we all we all think of this I, – I don't think any of us disagree. We all think of Dalton Schultz in a certain way. Right. And it's, and I'm, I'm also, we've talked about this on the podcast before. I'm in the boat of, hey, franchise him cool. I'm not long term extending him uh, unless he blows up and then it might be too late and you're paying more than you should. But until he is Kelsey or Kittle or Kyle Pitts or Darren Waller or Mark Andrews. But what if Dalton Schultz turns into that? Like, what if that new element of his game that we haven't seen? That might not completely be on him. It might be on the plays that are called. But that new element, the downfield, and averaging 12 yards a catch, like those guys, those big five do, and he's in that, you know, second, third tier of tight ends. His production, I think, puts him in the second tier. If that top tier of tight ends is Kittle and Kelsey and Pitts and Waller and Mark Andrews, and Dalton Schultz is kind of right there, but what if that happens? And then you start thinking of Dalton Schultz in a way that we've never thought about him. You well, start thinking about him like those guys – and C.D. Lamb does what we talked about him doing, that has to at least change your outlook of the offense a little, right? Yeah, no, if that absolutely happens. But if you're talking about like him with the contract, like, I don't know, I kind of treat, if I'm running the thing, I kind of treat it like the Mavs did with Jalen Brunson. And I know that there's Mavs fans that are upset that Jalen Brunson left, but at the dollar amount he got, it's like, okay, fine. And if Dalton Schultz, under this one-year tag, balls out and he's a pro bowler and he has this great year, you obviously make him... I don't, yeah, because I don't know the ins and outs of what the Mavs actually offered Brunson, but you go out and you try to keep Schultz. And I think as long as your offer is competitive, he'll resign. He'll want to stay with the Dallas Cowboys. He'll want to stay with Dak. And and I think that you, as the Cowboys, you're going to get the benefit of that, doubt there that let's say maybe the New York Knicks get in the NBA, but I wouldn't be trying to extend him. I'd want to see it another year before I give him that. But I can see him, ha- I mean, he doesn't even have to have like some year that's like, out of you know the ordinary for him, if he just keeps doing what he's been doing, I think he's going to be a huge part of the offense. I think he's going to be a very good player. He's going to get really good money probably from somebody. I don't know that will necessarily, necessarily be from the Cowboys. Are yeah, let me just, Wait, let me just hold on, Dave, real quick. On the Mavs thing, because I, I talked about, when we were talking about the Mavs the other day on, on the Ben and Skin show, we actually brought up the Cowboys and valuing players when it came to the Jalen Brunson thing. And the Mavericks, it was reported $22 million was the line. I think internally they were more – 18, 19, 20, but, you know, if we got to get up to 22, we would do it, you know? But I think, you know, he was – once they knew he was going to New York no matter what, it didn't matter and no offer even mattered. They, they were basically told, we're going to New York, whatever. But good organizations consistently, constantly, all the time, they believe in themselves. 
They don't have all these weird games. They value players at what they are, and they don't go over it. And I think we've kind of thought that. But, man, the Cowboys sure caved in on some negotiations with DeMarcus Lawrence, which is is different now, and Amari Cooper at the time, and things like that. And then they've had some hard-set lines. If you look at Des Bryant, if you want to go back six years. But I think those good organizations have a very consistent philosophy at all times. We value players here. We do not go over that. This is well, what we value guys at. And My, my argument it, to I that think, would be, you know, you can be critical of the Cowboys and the Amari and waiting too long to pay Dak and, and uh, the DeMarcus Lawrence thing. That's fine. But, like, the piece I have up today about their 10 worst decisions, like, to me, it's not really – it's not – you know, some people want to argue like drafting Zeke fourth overall. Like it's not that, and it's really not the waiting so long on deck. Like, yeah, you'd like to get him for less, and that the the issues are when you give that big contract to Jalen Smith and you give that big contract to Ezekiel Elliott. That's where their issues have been. Paying Dak yeah. forty million dollars a year, you can still operate with your quarterback making that kind of money. Twenty million a year on Amari Cooper, that looks like a pretty good deal right now with where the yeah. receiver market's going. Demarcus Lawrence, I think Demarcus Lawrence is making what he should be making for. The missing on Jalen Smith and the giving Zeke that contract are your issues with this team way more so than any. Oh wow, we got to pay Dak forty, and, and if we would have done it this time, we might have been able to get him for thirty four or thirty six or something like that. Like I don't think that that's what's holding the team back. It's the when you give those contracts to the guys that it's like obviously like Ezekiel Elliott, they're paying him to be the best back in the league, and he's obviously not close to doing that lately. We'll, we'll take a deeper dive at those uh, at those uh, picks and uh, those moves in a second off the article that John wrote. Go ahead, Dave. No, I, I'm dying to see the terms on Terry McLaurin's new deal. I hadn't I haven't seen it anywhere on Twitter today, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he beat Amari's salary. Which again, like that's Amari Cooper went from being supposedly overpaid to like probably the eighth or ninth highest paid receiver in the league this offseason. I just think it's hysterical that anybody tried to use that as a reason to get rid of him yeah um, i think i think he got down to like 10 he's tied for 10th recently so the mclaurin deal I mean, will probably bump him down even more he's a, he's literally a bargain um of, of all of the things that they've done this offseason that's the one that just boggles my mind and that's i eventually came to the conclusion i was like okay this is more than just about football like they're trying to get a new personality in their in their receiver room and on their roster i digress um no i was gonna say i guess I didn't think this was a hot take, but people really don't like it. Um, I would pay Dalton Schultz. I would do it this week. Uh, As long as, and I do think this is a rare case where I think the Cowboys have a lot of leverage. If I were the Cowboys, I would be like, yeah, we'll slot you in right next to David Njoku. We feel like I'm, I feel perfectly fine making you the fifth highest paid tight end in the league. I'm certainly, how do you know he doesn't want more? Oh, if he does, then he plays on the tag. That's all. No, but I'm just saying, like, we don't know what he no, wants. No, 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 no. I have because no idea. I could see him being like, look at my numbers and look at David Njoku's numbers. Oh, no, it, I, I mean, need north of that, you know. If if he wants if he wants half a mil more than Njoku, just as a point of pride, that's fine. But like, the point is, I'd be like, we'll, we will give you a deal that is very much on our terms, and you will look like a bargain in two years. Or you can play on the tag. And and I, I don't know. I can't speak for Dalton Schultz. I don't know what he would say to that. I have no problem paying him 13 point something million dollars. It's like it's where setting the market and giving him like a five, six year deal. That's what makes me uncomfortable. But as yeah, long as will. he stays as long as he stays healthy, Dalton Schultz is gonna get the contract that he wants. Cause KT, to your point, he's one of like two healthy proven players in this offense. 
he's he's gonna catch for and i mean he's got a great rapport with dak dak knows how to find him as long as he's healthy like mark it down for 80 like 65 to 90 catches this year like that's a given um and so i just think he's gonna get the numbers he needs to get a payday well then that's why i compared it to jalen brunson because jalen brunson got the numbers but i'm just saying if you look at it from a mav standpoint or in this case let's say schultz leaves from a dallas cowboy standpoint you're going to be really that, that surprised two years from now if, if if the Mavs look back and go, good thing we didn't pay that. That would have been no, crazy at that time. And, and yeah. to your point, I, I completely agree with you. And that, like, again, I, I'm a, I am a I am a fake Mavs fan. Like, I only watch playoff games. I'm not going to try to pretend to know about the Mavs. But, like, when I saw the size of Brunson's deal, I was like, yeah, I think the Mavs are probably smart to let him sign that somewhere else. Like, I'm just not convinced Jalen Brunson is worth that type of deal. And that's why, yeah, would I sign Dalton Schultz to a record-breaking contract that made him the highest-paid tight end in the league? Absolutely not. I would not set the market for Dalton Schultz. But if he's willing to slot in further down the pay scale just to get himself some security and basically acknowledge, like, yeah, I know I'm not the best tight end in the league, if he was willing to do that, I'd be perfectly fine playing ball with him. Uh, it, just, it just depends on, on what he and his people are looking for. You know, the, the thing that, that, that prevents me from doing that is the two things that I want to see. And again, I'm not necessarily sure the yards per catch is his fault. We've seen him on a lot of times just be the guy who is the, uh, we want to say the, the, the safety blanket or whatever. Right. But I don't, I don't know that that's the case, but like the yards per catch on those other five guys that we talked about, Pitts, Waller, Kittle, Kelsey, Mark Andrews. All 12 yards a catch, and he is all, and he's at 10, you know. Then it's two yards, but we're talking about statistically, they get down the field a little better. The other element that he is okay at, but doesn't consistently provide is yards after catch. And you see it sometimes, a little bit, throw it out in the flat and go get yards after catch, but like the catch the yard 15 yards down the field and then get six, seven, eight, break a couple of tackles. You don't see a lot of that. And that's where I think it's a little different. And, you know, again, it's also about how you want to build your team. And one thing with Jalen Brunson on the Mavs, the Mavs have a uh, focus on defense now with Jason Kidd, and they don't need a six-foot guard who can't play defense. Yes, they could use another playmaker on offense, but this, they're building their identity around defense, and Luka handles the offense. So it, it's not exactly a great fit. And it's part of the reason why Jalen Brunson left. He wants to go have the ball in his hands, be the point guard, run the show. Well, you can't do that here. So – it's a little bit of both there. That's why the Mavs valued Jalen Brunson so little. I bet the value the Mavs would have valued him much more if he was four or five inches taller, you know? In the same way, the Cowboys might value Dalton Schultz a little more if he was a little bit quicker, a little bit faster, cut down on a little bit of the drops, you know, little things like that. The drops aren't a huge concern, but they're there. Little things like that, I think, does make the kind of difference in the when you're living a salary cap world, those little decisions make a ton of difference. Well, and I also like him playing it out because, like I said earlier, the way that they're going to start the season, not having Gallup, like they're going to need Schultz a lot. Like he's going to yeah. have to, he's going to have to produce, and he's going to have to produce against very good teams immediately. First two weeks of the season, two of the top teams in the league. So I don't know if if you're the Cowboys, like I don't really hate the idea of like 
let's see him do it one more year and then we'll give him a big contract. Like, I don't know. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. And then if he gets a big, huge deal, number one paid tight end in the offseason by some other team, we're going to say, I don't know who would do. Oh, Miami Dolphins. That always sounds good. Then so be it. Then you move on and you go in another direction uh, with, your, with your tight end situation. Yeah. You take Jasicki from them at one year and eight million. <laughs> and that's, um, I mean, to me, that that's why, like, I'm not sitting here pounding the table like they these idiots have to sign Schultz or 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 else it's like franchise malpractice. Like I don't feel that way. Um, that's I, I think the Cowboys have a lot of leverage. They're like, hey, take a deal that clearly benefits us or play out the tag. And I think either one of those results would be fine. Um, I I do think though, as long as he's the the only scenario I can see where Dalton Schultz doesn't set himself up for a nice payday next spring is if he gets hurt and like, yeah, to that, uh, to John's point, like, yeah, <laughs> Dak's going to be looking for him 75% of the time for like the first three weeks of the season. And, and I'm also looking down the line. I'm being cap guy here and I'm looking down the line in terms of the whole, like where I'm trying to send my, spend my money going forward. And so when I'm looking at this roster, I'm thinking of like three things. Well, four things. Three is I'm not letting CD lamb go. I'm not letting Micah Parsons go. I'm not letting Trayvon Diggs go. Fourth thing is, I'll be that other that money isn't isn't even probably for a player on the team. It's for an edge rusher. It's going to be for whoever that next edge rusher is. That when Demarcus Lawrence is is done in, in a couple years, or if one of these other guys don't pan out, like and it might be somebody you have to get in free agency. Maybe it's somebody you draft. Maybe it's somebody you get in a trade or something. But you're going to need another elite type edge rusher that follows after Lawrence. So if that guy isn't on the roster, it's basically the Randy Gregory money. I have that set up for somebody else because those positions are just so valuable. You need to have those on your team. I think you just took the talking points right out of Stephen Jones's mouth. Like when we get into that phase, it's a little early yet, but like when we get into that phase, you talk about getting rid of Amari Cooper and his money, talk about getting rid of Lyle Collins and his money, potentially not paying Dalton Schultz. I, I absolutely believe Stephen Jones is going to be like, well, yeah, uh, we're going to have to make Diggs the highest paid corner in the game. We're going to have to give an ungodly amount of money to Micah Parsons at some point and CD lamb's not going to be cheap either. And I can hear fans breaking out the, you know, only so many pieces of pie analogy, but yeah, like that's, that's what the front office is going to say is like hard decisions have to be made when you've got these young star caliber players in the pipeline. So uh, I, I like this before we get into John's, uh, some of the worst moves in, in a uh, article that he wrote on the athletic. Let's talk about this. It's over in pro football focus. And it was just ranking the best play callers in the NFL. Real quickly, the Cowboys scored well on this, guys. Uh, John, you've probably seen the text. I'd like for Dave to guess, though. Dave hasn't seen this text, I would imagine. Best offensive play caller in the NFL, Dave. Take I a think, guess. Who did they have? I saw this I saw this come out. I don't remember the details. I remember thinking it was kind of stupid. Um, I mean uh, – it, I think it should be Kyle Shanahan, so that's what I'm going to guess. Number four. Okay. <laughs> uh, shoot, I don't know. Um, uh, Freaking. Oh, d- they said Kingsbury, didn't they? No, Kingsbury's no. not on the top on six, at least. Okay, thank God. All right, I'm, maybe I read a different list then. Um, I don't think, is it, it's, it's not McVay, is it? McVay's number five. Okay. Super Bowl I, champ. All right, t- tell, tell me, who's number one? Number six, Matty LaFleur. Number three, Byron Leftwich. Number one, Andy Reid. 
Oh, yeah. Okay. I don't have a problem with that. That's fine. I forgot. Number about two, Andy. Kellen Moore. Yeah, that's I knew I knew where Kellen <laughs> was on the list. Um look, I I feel like Kellen I don't know if Kellen deserves as much criticism as he gets from some people, but I also don't think he should be number two in the league. I mean, all of the guys yeah. we just talked about should be above him. Kellen Moore is Dak Prescott. Like it's just one of those things where it's like he's not on the elite level. So if you say he's not on the elite level, you're a hater. But then there's the other side that's like, this guy is trash. Let's go in another direction. No, that's not right either. You know, like you the go. idea that like they, they, there's so many fans that think like Kellen Moore is not like he shouldn't be the offense score. They score like 530 points last year, the most ever in Cowboys history. They led the league in, in uh, you know, yards and, and, and scoring and all that. He's obviously good at his job. But that's too high on that list. I, if Kellen Moore is on this podcast right now, he's saying that that's too high on that list. But yeah, at the same like, time, there's the other side you find that you're battling against. You're just like, it's time for them to go in another direction. Let McCarthy call the plays. Let's move on. It's like, there's a reason why this guy's being interviewed for head coaching jobs. He obviously knows what he's doing. Okay. So I don't know. It's just like I said, it's just like the same thing with Dak. Like you sit there and you say like, I don't know. I think Dak's like probably the eight to 10th best quarterback in the league. There's some people who are just like, they want to just tell you that like, man, you're a hater. And then there's the other side. It's just like, he shouldn't even be the quarterback of this team. And so you're just like, hey, I'm just giving you what I believe and, and th- from things I've read about other teams, quarterbacks and what I've seen, stuff I've studied. That's where I would put it. And same thing with Kellen. I wouldn't put Kellen in the top five, but he's probably a top 10 offensive play caller in the NFL. I never thought of Kellen and Dak kind of being the same thing because also that comes with those guys is the beautiful dangling carrot out there that is their potential and what they could be. Because you could easily see in a world that Dak is a clear top five quarterback in the league. And you could easily see where Kellen is a clear top five play caller in the league. But man, none of those other guys that are mentioned on that list had a half season slump. And that's what it was. I mean, good Lord. It's amazing what that offense turned into in the back half of the season. And I know he's going to take ownership of it. It has, but that can't happen again. And I don't think it would happen to these guys. Every one of these play callers has games where the offense dips a little bit or they have a bad month or things like that. That happens. But, dude, it was yeah. two months and just the terrible timing and weren't able to snap out of it in time for the playoffs when you had a chance to. And just The other thing is also- with Kellen, just his style – and the, where he was coming from at Boise State, and you factor all that in, I don't know that he's the bell cow running back offensive coordinator. He still is dealing with some things that were in place when he took over. I'm just going to say that if there, if he, there's expansion, if the Dallas Cowboys are an expansion team this year and they're, you know, drafting their team and signing through free agency and things like that, like I don't see them getting a bell cow back like Jason Garrett wanted. I think he would have probably two Tony Pollard type guys and, or actually here, I wouldn't even use the Cowboys example. His backfield would probably look closer to like San Francisco's. And I think that that's a factor in him being able to completely open up what he wants to do. Uh, But even with that being said, you just look at the numbers that he's put up. Like, I don't know how you cannot say that he's not a top 10 offensive play caller, if not higher. I love that point that you just made, John. Um, But I do think it's interesting because like the roster as it's presently constructed, like that's what the Cowboys seem to want to be, you know, like they can't, they can't move on from Zeke right now. And they just spent their first round pick on a, you think that's what they want to be or they're forced to be. It's irrelevant at this point. They can't do anything about it, but honestly, I don't know. They could not play as much. Yeah, sure. I mean, can you imagine that? 
that electricity well, bill. Well, you know, if that's going to happen this year, and it's going to be frustrating as hell. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I got too excited about that. That's going to happen this year, right? Zeke Snap's workload's going to get cut back. Tony Pollard's workload will go up. It's going to be really frustrating as hell that they saw that a year too late. It's going to, I mean, what in the world? Are you like, I? can you definitely say that? Like, as, as long as Zeke's healthy, I don't think anything's going to change. Really? I think it has to now. I, I got to see. I it. think Tony Pollard just gets more touches and uh, uh, not. And it has really, for me, very little to do with whether Zeke's healthy and great or not. I just think he's going to get more because they don't have as many playmakers on offense and his usage okay. rate and numbers and touches have gone up every single year he's been in the league. There's no reason to think it won't happen again, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's because he's taking over the number one job and Zeke's sitting there on the bench. I don't necessarily mean that. I'm saying that. The ball's got to go to somebody. Teams are going to take away C.D. Lamb in the passing game. Teams are going to be going out of their way to try and stop, take away Dalton Schultz. And, and things that are proven to work with Dak Prescott is proven guys that he knows. So by someone's going to have to step up and get other touches and stuff like that. And who's going to be closest to the line of scrimmage? It's Tony Pollard. So that's where I, I think that his numbers will increase. But to Dave's point, if, if Zeke is healthy, Zeke's getting his touches. Yeah, I mean – I hope that that's the case. I just, I don't trust the Cowboys to do it. And part of me, I mean, part of me does buy into that theory of like, okay, when have the Cowboys been at their best really over the modern era? Like obviously Emmett Smith's era speaks for itself, but even 2014, you had DeMarco winning offensive player of the year, 2016 Zeke was this yards churning beast. He had like 1600 yards. Like I think there's belief in that building that that is the way to be a dominant football team. And that's what I was going to say is like Kellen Moore is at his best as a play caller when they are just rolling over the other team on the ground. Like when they look absolutely unstoppable, it's when they're getting up at least near 120, 130 rushing yards a game, if not more. And that's kind of when it looked like they were hamstrung last year is when he lost that fastball. And that's why I think so many of those other guys – are better than him because you're Kyle Shanahan's, you're Matt LaFleur's, you're Sean McVay's maybe like those guys can say like, okay, like you took my fastball away, but I've been working on this cutter and I just, I don't, I haven't seen the same degree of adaptability from Kellen Moore, at least to this point in his career. But I completely agree with John that it's, it's asinine to think that he's not a good play caller. Like the, yeah, I I, I pulled this up while y'all were talking 2020, Dak went down in the middle of what game five, game six, game five. Yeah. They still finished top half of the league in yards per game and scoring. And that was while juggling just nightmare options at quarterback. I mean, he's still like that offense with the exception of maybe not to throw him under the bus, but with the exception of maybe the Ben DiNucci game, uh, that offense looked competent for two thirds of the season. Not great, but like, they moved the ball. They scored a decent amount of points in most of their games, even without Dak. And that's, I mean, that's the mark of a good play caller for me. The other change though, too, when I say a bell cow back, I mean like somebody that they're really just leaning on to like run the clock, get yards and things like that. You got to remember like during all the, you know, the rushing title years from Zeke and DeMarco Murray, a lot of that was being implemented because they were trying to do everything in their power to limit how much their defense was on the field because it was a liability. Well, they're no longer in that case. For me to sit here, yeah. hey, just in case, because I know I probably sound too negative on this podcast, but for as down as I feel about the offense on the defensive side, you know, I said earlier that this offensive line is probably, this is probably the most question marks, weakest offensive line the Cowboys have had since 
probably my first couple training camps covering this team. This is the best defense they've had, though, during that entire time, yeah. for sure. That's the This is the most positive that you feel about the defense in a decade. Top six defensive play callers. Top six defensive play callers, the Pro Football Focus article. Number six, Joe Barry, Green Bay. Number five, Josh Boyer, Miami. Number four, Raheem Morris with the Rams. Number three, Dennis Allen with the Saints. Number one, Leslie Frazier with the Bills. And number two again, Dan Quinn. So we've learned today that the Cowboys will be the second place team in football this year because their offensive and defensive play callers are number two. I have no problem with that. I I, I don't. I mean, again, like if you have him anywhere, like you have him three to six or something, fine. But again, like you're crazy if you don't think Dan Quinn's one of the top ten defensive. That's why he's he'll probably get another head coaching job somewhere. That's the reason he got a head coaching job before is for what he did in in Seattle. He his I mean comparing Dan Quinn and, and Kel Moore is not fair because Dan's just got so much more of a track record in the NFL. I mean, he's he's been a Super Bowl winning defensive coordinator, so I have less issue with him being at two uh, than Kellen Moore being at two. This might be uh, this might be uh, recency bias on my part, but I would just like to show some love to D'Amico Ryans. He sure as hell looked like a nice play caller when the 49ers – beat up on Kellen Moore and that Cowboys offense. Uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't really have an issue with that. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I think the world of Dan Quinn, I think his resume was amazing before he got to Dallas and he it's e- I mean, and it's funny, like it's easy to forget now because like, you know, things change. Like Micah Parsons is an all pro now. He's not a rookie who doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Uh, J Ron curse was a guy that we wrote off as a training camp casualty around this time last year. And now it's like, Oh, like he's this dog. That's going to be a tone setter for the defense. Trayvon Diggs, you know, maybe, maybe he does what he does regardless of who the coaching is, but like he, he wasn't that guy when we showed up to Oxnard last year. Um, So I especially give Dan Quinn credit for taking a collection of talent that we didn't think that highly of last year and now not only they, you know, they were the best unit in the league last year or one of them anyway. And now you're looking at it like, yeah, I want to watch these guys play. Forget the offense. I want to watch the defense play. I mean, the entire time that you and I have both covered the team, Dave, there is no corner that we can compare to Trayvon Diggs that's been on this roster during a decade plus. And there's certainly no safety that you can compare. And there's probably not another player in the NFL that you can compare to Micah Parsons. So with those three guys alone, with what they did last year and the way you feel about them going into the training camp, yeah, it's it's night and day from what is typical Cowboys training camp defensive type of play. Yeah, and I, I think also, like, we still just can't even fathom what we thought about, not necessarily Micah Parsons, but like how the Cowboys would use him. And I know it's a little unknown, but man, Dan Quinn just having the open mind from the beginning is how it's going to be and, and to move him around and know that that's what you want to do. You just can't say enough about how great that worked out. Now, uh, John, you've wrote a couple articles up on the athletic, uh, the, uh, the worst decisions and the best decisions of the past decade. Um, I think uh, we might have time to, to, to run through both of them and try to run through both of them. I think we can run through both of them. Run through the highlights. One. Ones that stick out to you, KT. We'll get through them. Yeah. yeah 10 worst decisions of the past decade. I will say this just to get it out there. I disagree with your number one, John. Your okay. number one was signing Greg Hardy, and I thought number two should have been number one. Okay. But were, were, were you putting them in order? Were you ranking them in no, order? No, I was ranking them in order. 
Yeah. I've been very so clear I, about this. Every offseason I do something like there's no question with me. And maybe there's certain things that I don't feel like getting into when I write these things up. So I, but I'm just telling you, everything I know from behind the scenes and all that, the idea of signing Greg Hardy, Hardy putting up with all that, doing all that stuff, like I'm telling you, these other things are all second to that. That was that is just that the whole thing was so unnecessary. But go on. Well, because of what what it caused in the in the locker room? That just the idea of bringing on that that negativity to a team that really didn't need it at the time. And then what you were going to get in your return on investment, you know, I mean, yeah. from day one, it just, that was dead to not look like a, that was a good idea at all. But it, it is also the type of move that if you said this happened, you'd be like, Oh, it sounds like something the Cowboys would do, you know? Yeah. I mean, let's no. not act like, Hey, let's not act like he didn't get any sacks or didn't get any pressures. He did enough that if you're just, if this is like, you don't know who the player is and just player X, I'd say that that guy probably, I don't know, plays at least one more year in the NFL. <laughs> like the whole league was like, yeah, we're all good. No, 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 no. We're no let. Yeah. MMA is fine for him. Like the NFL that is dying for that. Nobody else wanted to even did he even get a try. No, he didn't. He didn't even get a trial with anybody else. Nothing gone. Boom, it was done. like that before the Cowboys even took him on. <laughs> like, that's the really thing. Like, that's and that's yeah, what I'm saying. Like, I don't we'll know do that anybody it. even gets him if it's not for them. Like it was a year before that. People were saying that. Yeah. Well, the one that I said I would have had number one was the drafting of Taco Charlton, um, oh. which I, I I'm also a big um, believer in the laziest thing that you can do in sports talk is go back and look at drafts and say, well, you should have taken that guy. Or you should have taken that guy. I, I am a believer in that. But in this case, there was like context and reasoning that was just very upsetting. The whole, well, TJ Watt can't put his hand in the ground comment, which is like, uh, maybe it didn't matter. It just felt so clear. Now, TJ Watt goes to the league and he's a bust. Then, uh, you know, maybe this doesn't come up as much. But it felt so clear. Just watching TJ Watt, it felt right. And there was enough lingering hope that they might pull the trigger on him, too. There was enough uh, scuttlebutt around uh, the, the, I guess it was a Valley Ranch at that time. Yeah, still Valley Ranch at that time. There's enough scuttlebutt that, yeah, well, I think Garrett might like TJ Watt. Maybe he's going to, you know. So that's where no, I was. 17, they were at the star. That was the first draft at the no, star. They were, they were. First draft at the star. Yeah, that makes, yeah, I remember now. Ugh. Oh, sorry, I think Taco. like his his brother being JJ only only hurt him in the scouting process because they're like, there's no I, way he could be close to as good as JJ. I mean, that's impossible, you know. So it's like it automatically decreased probably what they thought his ceiling was. I uh, gotta I gotta throw my hat in with John on this one, man. Like, look, I mean it it stings. The the TJ Watt thing stings, and it always will, especially. You know, it, it's not like he played a different position, or like a lot of times people will be like, oh, well. Of course, of course, they didn't draft Le'Veon Bell. They like they had Demarco Murray. Like that doesn't make sense. Like no, there was a clear need. They drafted the same position. They were wrong. But like that's the NFL draft. Like the Cowboys are pretty good at it. But everybody's hit rate is still like basically mediocre at the end of the day. Like the best teams in the league are wrong all the time. Like I, I looked this up around draft time because, like everyone else, I think the Ravens knocked it out of the park this year. Uh, what they did getting. Uh, the guys that they did and just drafting the best players available. But like, if you go back and look, even the Ravens track records kind of like, eh, I guess because that's the draft. Um, whereas with Greg Hardy, the Cowboys were like, 
Yeah, uh, we know that you're an absolute scumbag, but we're gonna do it anyway uh, because we need sacks. Yeah, we need we need sacks. We we were relying literally. It was I can imagine the conversation in my head. They were like, "Yeah, Aaron Rodgers was hopping around on a torn hamstring at Lambeau Field last winter, and God bless him, Jeremy Mincy and whoever the hell else they had on that D line that year just couldn't do a thing about it. Mm-hmm. And we're not gonna let that happen again." We're George Selby, Nick Hayden, yeah. we're gone. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, look, I love those guys. The, the Golden Cock, Rod Marinelli had great nicknames for every single one of them. But Aaron Rodgers made them look like a liability. And every NFL team does it. Look, I'm not I'm not acting like we, we all know what we're getting into watching the NFL. Like sometimes teams are going to make compromising decisions. But like they sold their soul to a bad guy knowing full well what they were getting into. Um, and it didn't, didn't work out, did not work out at all. And it just, it was a massive disappointment. And then like, for those of us, you know, John, John and I have to be around that every day. It was just a bummer of an experience. I think it, it hindered, it hindered the locker room. Like, I think you could probably say it hindered Randy Gregory's development. Like, yeah, young, impressionable guy who's going to need all of the help he can get staying on the field. And you bring in Greg Hardy to be the mentor in his position room. Cool story there, Cowboys. Well, um, if Tony does, if Tony doesn't get hurt, though, you win games, and then not everyone quits on each other. Sure, you of know? course, but you know that's the way football goes sometimes. So yeah, like that, that stuff's not always up to you. I just yeah, okay. I mean, let, don't get me wrong. Like I said, the taco thing sucks, and it's it's definitely a black eye on what has largely been a really good track record for Will McClay. But um. I think the the Hardy thing was a conscious decision to do something crappy. Whereas, you know, I think I think they had good intentions drafting Taco. They were just wrong. Again, the this is enthusiasm from Garrett after the Hardy thing was. I remember walking back there to Jerry's <laughs> office to you know Hardy signing the deal or whatever. We're taking pictures and like Hardy walks back and Garrett like half jumps on his back like as they're walking down the hall like this really awkward like trying to bond with you, happy you're here moment kind of so thing. Weird. It's like, oh man, this is yeah, like, like very, very clearly like, oh, the cameras are here. So I need to act like I like this. I'm happy about this kind of thing. What Dave? You talk about the, uh, you talk about like working in the building during the awkward moments. That's one of those moments where like you hear the news and you're like, okay, all right, this is going to be, this is going to be an awkward 48 hours while we try to put some kind and of spin they, on this. They, they made Charlotte go to, on the news and explain it. Charlotte had to be Ugh, the one to terrible to, to explain the move. Oh, so John, you had the Hardy move and the, and the taco move ahead of keeping Garrett for too long. Yeah. Cause uh, when you break down the Garrett thing, like f- from year to year, you can kind of see because there were so many ups and downs that like, there's part of me that was like, Although I disagreed with it, you could I could see how somebody would be like if and again, somebody being Jerry Jones, who believes this is your guy, there would be a down where you'd be like, oh, yeah, if, it, if this next season just starts off a little shaky, we got no go another direction. And then Garrett would save himself with like this 14 season and then that 16 season and then and then 18 like So there's like it's hard to just say like cut and dry when they should have, but they obviously should have nine years uh, being the Dallas Cowboys head coach. You just you had to have more playoff success. And so. Uh, because of that, I felt like it had to be somewhere. And so I'm not going to really argue too much with somebody that wants to have it higher or lower, but it, it just, it has to be on the list. The, the other one I want to throw out there is, and this is again, John's article, 
10 uh, worst Cowboys decisions over the last decade. The Mike Nolan decision to be your first defensive coordinator in the McCarthy era. My question, though, is give Mike Nolan Micah Parsons, and does he come yeah, back he, for a second year? I'm just going to tell you behind the scenes, KT, there was no, there just wasn't the buy-in from the guys that the guys have now. And, and may, hey, maybe that's not on, on uh, Mike Nolan as much as a coach as maybe it is the teacher, uh, maybe the players you're teaching, coaching, whatever you want to call it are different than maybe the guys that you used to coach before. You have to adapt. You have to change. He, he just wasn't a fit there. Do I think they would have been better? Yes, I do. I think if the Dallas Cowboys in 2020 had Micah Parsons, they wouldn't have been arguably the worst defense in Dallas Cowboys history. I also don't think they would have been a, that much better. I think we would have seen you know flashes from Micah, and we would have been like excited about that. And and maybe that would have kept Mike Nolan as, as the defensive coordinator for another year because they're like, ah, let's just see what they got, whatever, like – I just, I, I don't even think it's worth arguing, but it's they obviously made the right move to move on from him and hire Dan Quinn. Well, I mean, we wouldn't have got the Tabasco moment, so and and I and I made sure hey, lost defensive hey, production for that. I, I try and be fair, and and I try and and I try and be serious about these things, and I made sure not to put that in my explanation on on the hiring Mike Tabasco uh, Mike <laughs> Mike Nolan. I mean, believe me, you don't think that's in my head. You yeah. don't think I wanted to put <laughs> not putting up the curtains? You don't think I wasn't thinking about putting oh, up about, not putting up the curtains oh, in the top eyes. ten? I'm trying to be somewhat serious here, people. Uh, uh, and so, not to spoil all the fun. Now, moving over to the ten best decisions of the last decade. Again, I don't want to spoil the list. I'm going to leave some of it up for your curiosity, but I do want to talk about uh, one that I think is good because Dave is here, and I think this is a great time to bring this up. Oh boy. Number nine, you said drafting C.D. Lamb because the decision came down to C.D. Lamb and Caleb on chase on. And the Jaguars, uh, as you point out in your article, John, he started 11 games in two seasons compared to C.D. Lamb's 27 starts. And Caleb on chase on in two years in the NFL only has two sacks. Is this is this like your attempt at gotcha journalism? Are you trying to gotcha me? No, I just don't want to spoil the top part of the list. You know, I don't want to. You know, I want everyone to go over to the athletic, That's click LSU on John's hate. work, and read no, it. I, I just, I, I'm, I get, I get salty about 2020 because I went to LSU. COVID? I'm, I'm very oh. not shy about how much I like LSU football, but I got like, I got pegged as like this Caleb on Chase on fan. And that was never the case. That was never the case. I basically, again, like doing this, doing like John was just saying, like, you know, if you want to be taken seriously as a reporter, and I'm not necessarily talking about fans, I'm also talking about the people that you talk to, you probably don't want to like, you know, throw, throw Mike Nolan's Tabasco thing out there and just be like glib all the time. Uh, Same thing where you know, you, you, you don't want to just like beat your own preferences into the ground for the sake of it. I mean, there's a place for that, but you also just want to try to get the most accurate information. And if you go back and look at that in a world where nobody thought CD lamb was going to be available at 17, Caleb on chase on was just a choice that made sense. They needed an edge rusher. He was probably going to be available. And all I did was point that out, but now I get stuck with the label of like being a Caleb on Jason stand. I was right there with everybody else. When CD fell, I was like, yeah, you obviously should take him. He's a much better player. (laughs) 
I can't I, uh, believe that you don't bring up the other LSU guy when people say that, though. Yeah, that's a great point. There was meanwhile, another LSU guy that went 22. That probably would have been yeah, pretty good there. Meanwhile, there's another guy who <laughs> is doing what we were told C.D. Lamb was going to do. And that's – it's not the dog C.D. Like, he's having a perfectly great start to his career. But, like, Justin Jefferson is objectively – objectively a much better player today than C.D. Lamb. Oh. There's a debate to be had about him being the number two wide receiver in the league. Now, that's something I, I want to do sometime before camp. Maybe if we have to do it in camp, whatever. But I'd like to do it before camp is I kind of want to do an exercise where we just look at these guys and kind of go. And I think with running backs, we might have to do it as a tandem. I think with wide receivers, I might do it as just the first wide receiver. Just kind of go, where are, where are these guys ranked in their you know position group? CeeDee Lamb, Dalton Schultz. Dak, probably it's probably less sexy to do on defense, but that's just something we can think about uh, a little bit down the road. Make sure you go check out that article as well. Ten best decisions of the last uh, ten years, as well. Um, and Dave, that's the first time anyone has said the word glib on this podcast. You're welcome. Right? I mean, if we're tracking it, that's when's the, the first, first time you've ever heard that word used, KT? Yeah, what does that I mean? mean? I don't know if I should be offended or not. No, it's a, doesn't it mean like you're being very... No, no, um, but what, I, I thought that you were bringing it up because I thought you knew her like the first time you heard it's from because I know what it is. Um, No, I don't know what the first time I'm pretty I sure it. it's it's that <laughs> It's from that interview with like Matt Lauer and like Tom Cruise. It's like this very like, oh. you know, like they're arguing about Scientology and I'm pretty sure that Tom Cruise like throws it out there and like people are like, what is this guy's deal? You know, and that was like, I don't know, that's... 15, 20 years ago or whatever, but I'm pretty sure he's I, like, Matt, you're being so glib or something. Like, I'm pretty sure that that's where that like, first kind of got out there. It means See, fluid, I'm, but insincere. I'm just a dork that uh, scored really well on like my, you know, English SATs and whatnot. Man, I but, used to have yeah, a great basically, I mean, you can use it. It's not, it doesn't quite mean the same thing as sarcastic, but it's similar, you know? Okay. 2005 intense moment. Cruz calls Lauer quote glib. 2005. <laughs> Man, you have a photographic memory, John. That is amazing. Yeah, that's- oh, well, cause here this 2005, you got to remember tw- 2005 is not, that's pre Twitter. So we get everything now, but in 2005, I'm telling you right now, when that interview came out, you were like, Whoa, what is this guy's deal? That was a huge thing. Like if that wasn't, if that happened last week, people, it would already be like, 30th thing that people are talking about but at the time like nobody really was like into the whole Scientology thing and he was just like they were arguing back and forth and you're just kind of like on the Today Show and he's just basically talking down to Matt Lauer like he's an idiot and doesn't know anything about anything he's talking about and it was like the biggest I don't know like that was uh (laughs) that was the same year he like tap danced on Oprah's couch oh yeah 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 was it that that year okay I don't know Yeah. Was that 2005? Okay, interesting. Yeah, For the Cruz Katie Holmes thing, I, I love we this to, We had to just load all this crap up on YouTube and watch hey. it one by one. Dude, of, I got like, a clip for you. 2003, Golden Globes, Richard Gere wins Best Actor for the movie Chicago. You're going to want to hear who he thanks in that speech and says is a really great guy. Oh, Harvey? Oh, probably Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Oh, I kind of uh, every. It's an amazing every fifty seconds. Yeah, is like is like. I was gonna say because Tarantino like, and there's just so many it. pictures of all. I mean, all the who's who of biggest actors, actresses, whatever that are all like they've all thanked him or been with him and like pictures and stuff like that. And you're kind of well. I mean, to that point of that picture you posted that one time, KT. Of I mean, yeah. Harvey Weinstein was in the suite of Jerry Sweet oh, yeah, at the right Super behind J Lo and uh, A yeah. Rod was like Harvey, and no one ever talks about that. Yeah. <laughs> Cameron Diaz or whatever it was, yeah. 
the um, oh crazy hypothetical for you guys because we're going to play the trailer uh, at the end of this for Andrew Luck. Mm-hmm. Um, say Andrew Luck tomorrow. It's like I'm coming back, guys. Who wants me? What do you think would happen? I know the Cowboys wouldn't be in in on him, but like, what do you what do you think would happen around the league? How many teams would would be having having to have that conversation? Oh, I think it'd be very similar to what's going on with Kevin Durant right now. Almost every team would have some interest, um, but you'd have to get some kind of guarantee that he's going to play like, a certain coming, amount I'm of years. Two, I'm coming two years. Yeah, least. you'd have to get some kind of guarantee from him that he's going to. But if he says that he's all in, obviously you'd want to work him out. But he looks like that he's really focused on it and, he, and, and he's really going to come back and play. I think, I mean, obviously he's not on the same level as Kevin Durant, but in terms of the interest, like everybody would, would have some interest. I mean, obviously not like the teams that have like a top, you know, eight to 10 quarterback, but that leaves 22 other teams are all being like, okay, so let, we're at least trying to work him out and figure it out. And he's signed within, I don't know, a week. Realistic well, mind when you, uh, I mean, when you retire, like the, the team holds your rights. Like, yeah. I mean, Travis Frederick could come out of retirement today and the Cowboys would hold his rights. Uh, like, that's just how that works. So, shoot. I mean, if I... We'll come up I with a hypothetical the that... If it's well, yeah, we'll come up with a hypothetical that it is like a Durant thing where it's like, he already well, said he's not going to play for the Colts, so it's a trade thing. Yeah, I, yeah. Everybody would be calling the Colts, man. Yeah, I think... Like, let's I just think see what, what they want, you know? You would just... I, and honest, at this point, the Colts... I mean, you got Matt Ryan, who's been in the offense. He's a little bit older than Andrew Luck but he hasn't been sitting on his butt for three years. Like I think I would, I would take Matt Ryan over Andrew Luck today. I don't think that's a controversial statement. So no. I think the Colts would probably, what I would do is I, I would host a workout and then start taking offers. Hopefully I could get like some kind of package for it. Maybe not a, I don't know if you could get a first round pick for a guy that hasn't played since 2019, but maybe like, you know, maybe maybe you get like a kind of like uh, what the what the Falcons got for Matt Ryan. Honestly, like maybe you get like a two and a three or something like that for him. Dude, off the top of my head, Panthers, Seahawks, Steelers, Falcons, Browns, because who knows what's going to happen with Baker? Mm. We have a pretty good feeling it's going to happen with Sean Watson. The Detroit Lions might be in the mix there. Yeah, Houston feels like they're going full rebuild tank, but some of these other teams do. So I'll throw Houston in there just for fun. Like, dude, there's like eight teams who would be like, yeah, maybe maybe the Giants even would be well, would consider that. They kick the can on that. So maybe, yeah. Oh wow, maybe. that would be that would be fun. Saints. As maybe. much as I don't want to bring this into the conversation, it needs it. I'm just going to mention it real quick, and we don't have to discuss it. But um, if the Browns are going to give that much guaranteed money with the uncertainty behind Deshaun Watson because he's essentially a top five quarterback, you just know everyone's going to have interest in Andrew Luck. Like even that he hasn't played, it just the position to have an elite player at that position is just so hard to find that teams look past so many different things. So even Andrew Luck retiring and doing that stuff, there's always going to be some teams that are like, meh, whatever, <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll roll the dice. Cause if he I, does click and he does play, I mean, if you tell me that he dude. is going to play, like I want him over like, any quarterback that's going to be well, any certainly any quarterback in this year's draft class, any quarterback in next year's draft class, any any quarterback that was even in the Trevor Lawrence class, I would rather have Andrew Luck. But there's also the huge uncertainty with like would he even keep want to keep playing? Because obviously he does football. Hypothetically his speaking, he's all in. He's back. 
You know, that's yeah. that's the thing. I, I would, well, then I would I'm just all love in to too. see the, the links that, that the NFL team, teams would go to to try to make that happen. Dude, I think yeah. that would be a fascinating week if that were not to under people. not to undermine your hypothetical at all, Ken, but like Andrew Andrew Luck is kind of my hero. I always joke with people like I just covering the NFL just reminds me on a regular basis how much I'm not wired to be a pro athlete. Like I just I don't have that I don't have that dog in me the way that a mm-hmm. lot of these guys do. And so like for Andrew Luck to be like, you know what? I am beat to hell. I've got $60 million in the bank and I would rather be able to pick up my kids than keep playing football. Like that is what I would do. And so I admire the hell out of him for doing that. I don't, yeah. I don't want him to come back. I want him to just keep hanging out in suburban Indy or wherever the hell he is living the dream. California, bro. That's Whatever. where the 49ers, he would go to the 49ers. I don't give a damn he where he up. is. Just yeah, enjoy that paycheck, buddy. Well, but listen dude, to Luck next week for a lot more insight on this situation. It'll be great. I, I want to listen to Luck. I can't wait to listen to this, Kent. I just want to say this, dude. Everyone realizes that Mitch Trubisky, Drew Locke, and Marcus Mariota are currently starting quarterbacks in this league. Now, yes. you know, throw in Sam Darnold in there, too. In a world where like, I grew Luck. What? In a world where he wanted to play, he like yeah, like 10 teams would move heaven and earth to get him on their team. And he's an avid reader. He's got his own book club. The Andrew Luck Book Club. Go check that out. Oh, wow. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yay. Add in a couple more teams. He's got a book of the month. <laughs> John and I have a uh, John and I have a good story about Andrew Luck that we picked up uh, a couple years ago from Jason Garrett. I can't even believe you're bringing this up. No, 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 hey, no. Soon as, hey, soon as Kent, soon as Kent said his name, <laughs> that's the very first thing. Well, Anytime like, anybody says Andrew Luck's name, that's the very first thing that I ever think so of. So I'm at a James it, Taylor concert and I turn around and look. Guess who's behind No, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, Ken. It's probably the best story he's ever told. Oh, It, it probably is. Not that the bar is super high. Okay, but... go for it. <laughs> oh, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to share it on the podcast. Oh, okay. I don't, want, I don't want to, but maybe, you know. Find well, then let's end it so you can tell us off the air. No, yeah. along, it was along the lines of this, is that when he, he got to talk to Andrew Luck at, one, at the Pro Bowl when he coached one year, and they were by, like, the pool or whatever. And basically, long story short, but it's just the way Garrett told it, it was really, and there's some details I'm going to leave out, but basically it was about how when you're the guy at Stanford, you're just around so many other people that they don't give a shit about football. They're at Stanford because they're just aiming to do way bigger things with their lives. And so he was like sweet mates with some guys that literally had no idea what he did at all. Like didn't even have any, I mean, obviously even when he was at Stanford, they were winning big. It's probably the best Stanford's football team's been a long time. He would come back to the room and they'd literally be like, you know, like how'd you do in your match or whatever like that. They have no idea what football is or or that he's like, going to be the first pick in the draft. And, you know, it's like, it, honestly, because if you take yourself back to that, it would be like, you know, if uh, it'd be like if Arch Manning went to Stanford right now and like there's all this hype that we all know who he is. But then he's like he's in a in, he's like staying with a bunch of guys that are like, yeah, I don't even know what you do type thing. But Jason told this story in a way where like uh, he got really in depth about it. And there's other things that are part of it. But the way he told the story, it was it was one of his more interesting stories for sure. I think like I think one of the details Jason gave us, I think like he, he bust back from Corvallis. Like they beat Oregon state and, and luck, you know, luck had an amazing game. He like threw the game winner. It was like this big dramatic moment. And like, he got back to his suite at Stanford and his roommates were just like, Oh, you're home. Like, like nobody, (laughs) nobody knew or cared where he had been. Yeah. And maybe (laughs) to some people, like it might not be that great of a thing or whatever. Like if you heard the story, but when you're like, kind of like obsessed with sports, the way I am, like, the, the chance to meet like 
if, if you gave me the chance to meet Joe Montana or like a Nobel Peace Prize winner, I'm picking Joe Montana every day of the week. And a lot of people wouldn't do that. But I'm the fact that like these guys would know who Andrew Luck is like would blow my mind. But then again, I don't think my mom knows who Andrew Luck is, you know, so I don't know. I think that was one of the parts of it. But there were some other things in there that I just I, I don't think that we need to share. So. Oh, no, all right. no, it doesn't all need to go out over, day. over the airways. Yeah. Well, Dave, uh, congratulations on um, your uh, slight career move, right? Uh, yeah. You're still covering the Cowboys. Yeah, uh, it, I, it's it's the same job, just a different uh, logo and and name and and lower third, whatever. You, you can still be Hellman DC on Twitter. You don't have to change that. That's nice. No, I I, I swapped out actually. You I did. Moved, now you're Dave, Dave Hellman. I moved on to David Hellman. Actually, somebody stole my old handle and is impersonating me right now. So, so. yeah. So it's just twitter.com slash David Hellman. Uh, with an underscore. underscore. At the end. David yeah. underscore Hel- David Hellman underscore. There you go. Got it. I took over the yeah. other account. Oh, is that you? Yeah, that makes I sense, guess. actually. Yeah. That was Bobby Belt, for sure. I know you don't have anything oh better going on. No, uh, Bobby and I are in negotiations. He's trying to buy it from me. <laughs> <laughs> That's hey, amazing. Hey, seriously, Hellman, if this was be- be truthful, the most, the most believable part of that would be that Bobby would be trying to buy it from me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> that would be Dave. the most on-brand thing ever. At Hellman DC tweets... OJ was wronged. What? <laughs> no, literally, this this dude's been tweeting. It says this, this dude, account doesn't exist. Maybe they gave it up. Oh, maybe they got rid of it. This dude was tweeting like all throughout the weekend. Hurry, this John. Guy, he was tweeting like, <laughs> oh, John's losing it. Uh-oh. <laughs> John's losing it. <laughs> Just Wait. the way he, his videos are so ridiculous. Just the way he's always like, yours truly. And then he just will He'll fire oh, off about. He'll fire off about like. Oh, OJ. He doesn't, yeah. I mean, he's he'll, jump in, he'll jump in about like he'll start talking about January sixth. He started talking uh, about every woman should have, like, should have the right to life. I'm like, do you listen to what you're saying right now? Like, OJ. Yes. Huh. <laughs> oh, hey. You're right, Kent. They did. I guess they did remove that other account. So yeah. This, Hurry, John. Good for you, yeah, man. Get in there, John. This dude spent the whole weekend tweeting like the Cowboys are signing T.Y. Hilton. No way. Crap. Yeah. Oh, because it had this verified on there and stuff? The guy. No, it wasn't even verified. Yeah. Oh, it was, oh it was that's, that's funny. I admire it. That it's a good tip that a bit. changed it. You know KT loves a good bit, so that tracks. Well, follow Dave well, um, his new handle. We'll be back when we're back. We'll be back before John goes to camp, right? Correct? Yes, camp? for sure. Yes. yes. We will be back before camp, and... Uh, We'll talk to you then, and obviously if there's anything breaking, we'll have the emergency podcast as we always do for Father John Machota, for David Hellman underscore, and for our producer, Kent Garrison, I'm KT. We'll see you next time on About Them Cowboys. At the center of one of the greatest what-ifs in NFL history is one of the greatest quarterback prospects of all time. What if the Colts had protected Andrew Luck? It's amazing that the Colts could move on from Peyton Manning and nobody really blinked. The reason why Andrew turned around the Colts and turned around Stanford was that beast inside of him that would look at the opposing team and saying, I'm going to kill you today. My encounters with him were unlike other encounters I would have with quarterbacks. He could have been a thoracic surgeon. He could have been anything. I don't think there's ever been a smaller gap 
gap between someone's floor and their ceiling. You know, if it's one to ten, he's a ten in every category. There's Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, it's all wrapped up one. High end, he's a Hall of Famer. Low end, he's a multi-year Pro Bowler. Like, I can't see there's any way this guy doesn't succeed. I just remember him saying, Jacoby, like, this is going to sound weird, but, but can you hit me on the sideline? Because I need to feel the game right now. I go, I don't think I'm supposed to hit you. With Andrew, it was very secretive. Seeing all the treatment he would go through, see all the hits he would endure. It was like, man, I know you have to be injured. He gets sandwiched between two linebackers at that moment. He has a ruptured kidney. The sort of injury you sustain in a car crash, basically. I never knew what the hell was bothering me until all this news came out. And it was like, oh, wait, he was suffering from this? It was all news to us. It's the people that succeeded us that put a team around him, as we did with Peyton, the results probably would have been the same. Andrew Luck has become a cautionary tale for any team with an up-and-coming quarterback who doesn't have protection. I remember both of us having a moment where we both were teary-eyed going, man, this beautiful, beautiful player is uh, not going to play anymore. I'm Zach Kiefer from The Athletic, and I'm the host of a new podcast series called Luck. It's the Andrew Luck story as you've never heard it. The series looks to answer this question. How did the greatest quarterback prospect since John Elway, the very player the Colts moved on from Peyton Manning for, end up walking away from the game before he was 30 years old? All six episodes will be released on July 11th. Look for Luck on the Athletic Football Show podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts. And listen to Luck ad-free on the Athletic app.